Welcome to the Power Woman Podcast. This is Victoria Schneps, proud publisher of Schneps Media with print, digital, events, and broadcasting programs in the New York City region, including Westchester and Long Island. So I am thrilled today to have both met and been impressed with Beth Shapiro, who is the executive director of City Meals on Wheels, a superb program that we as a company had the moment in working with your staff and being able to be a part of those boxes that were given out across our city. But I am so pleased to now introduce Beth Shapiro. Beth, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Vicki. It's great to chat with you, and it was wonderful to have you and so many members of your staff up at our facility packing boxes last week. It was really incredible. Well, I don't know who was more impressed, my staff or your staff, but they all <laughs> really enjoyed every minute of it and the positive feedback of helping some you know, elderly person know that they packed something that made a difference in their lives. So just tell me a little about your growing up, Beth, and tell me a little bit about, I know you grew up in North Carolina with your parents having been born in Brooklyn, but tell me, was there an influencer in your life when you were little? Definitely. So, um, yes, I grew up in North Carolina. My parents were from Brooklyn. My grandparents were in Brooklyn. And I think even at a young age, both my grandmothers were huge influences in my life. They were um, working women. My my mother's mother was a working woman. She had a dress shop in her basement in Brooklyn. And my dad's mom, actually, her mother passed away when she was 17 years old. And at 18, she took in her younger siblings and ended up raising them along with uh, her three sons that she eventually had. So I think that both gave me, you know, were just great examples of um, women who believed in themselves and and did what they had to do to survive and beyond and thrive. And I think they, um, even though I was in North Carolina and not up here, they were very strong influences in my life. And I have to say my parents, too. I mean, my mom was a college professor, and, um, you know, it it was great to see um, women uh, who who were caring people beyond and within their family as well. Well, you know, I think it's remarkable how uh, people that are just in our daily lives can have such an impact. And at some point, what made you leave North Carolina? (laughs) I think I knew really early on that I wasn't going to be staying in Charlotte. I went to college down there at the University of North Carolina and literally sold almost all my belongings and had $500 in my pocket and moved to New York three days after I graduated school. I shared a studio apartment with uh, someone I'd grown up with and, you know, was lucky enough to find a, a job a few weeks after I got here, which is not always the case, but, you know, I started in advertising, which is what I wanted to do. And um, I think I was looking, you know, A, to get back to my roots, but also for a much bigger 
environment than than on what I'd grown up in. Do you think because of your grandparents being there, your parents were not so reluctant to see you leave? Because were your parent, grandparents still alive when you made it to New York? They were not still alive, but I have a very large extended family and they were here. And I think my parents were absolutely, I don't think they were, they were incredibly supportive of my moving up here and, and sort of reconnecting with cousins and second cousins and and it's where they were from and I think to some degree still considered their home and they were supportive, incredibly supportive. Well, you know, I think there's something about um, being a New Yorker is in your blood but I know it's not easy for you to leave where you are. There's got to be some kind of incentive that's either in your DNA that I have to be a New Yorker <laughs> or, you know, there's a job waiting. But you like, it sounds to me like you just had the drive. I, I just, um, I think a little bit of the DNA and I wanted to work in advertising and I knew that that was New York, especially in that day and age, you know, in the mid 80s, the, the advertising world was New York and even starting at the bottom where I did, it was where I wanted to be. And well. Yeah, but I think, you know, being here and doing what you thought was your passion, you didn't stay there. What was your journey? Yeah, my journey was um, interesting. So I, I started at in advertising at Ogilvy & Mather um, uh, as a receptionist, worked my way up there, and I really did 20 years in marketing and advertising before making a move to City Meals 13 years ago. And it was a very conscious decision. And uh, I think I, I got to a point in my life where I understood that there was a greater good than doing what I had been doing. And I was able to leverage my marketing background to come to City Meals. Uh, and, and that was my first role here, marketing and communications. And I was quite lucky that the founding executive director at the time thought that I could do this, you know, and, and, and help facilitate my move into the nonprofit arena. Well, I think City Meals on Wheels has gained great traction. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what your mission is. Sure. City Meals is feeding homebound elderly New Yorkers. So we work in partnership with the city and we deliver weekend, holiday, and emergency meals to New Yorkers 60 and older who can no longer shop or cook for themselves. Right now, we're feeding over 18,000 New Yorkers, about, delivering about 2 million meals annually. And wow. they're people who, you know, we start at 60, but we're serving, you know, people in their 80s, 90s, even 100 years old. And to me, those are the people who built this city for us, and we owe it to them to bring a simple meal to their door every day. So I think that under your leadership, you've really grown the program. How's that been possible? How have you worked with this funding and how you've worked with your board? So we have an incredibly generous board and our donations from our board go to administrative costs. And we're able to then leverage that and let the general public know that 100% of their donations go to meal preparation and delivery. And I think that fact alone is very compelling for people. It's unique to know that every penny you're delivering is, is bringing food to the door of an older person who needs it. And we've seen a huge growth in the last 10 years or so in volunteers. Um, 
over well over 25% growth in the number of volunteers last year, over 25,000 and nearly 90,000 hours of time. Oh, if you think incredible. about it, it is incredible, and it's incredible to think. And you know, an everyday New Yorker can come in and spend two hours delivering meals, or they can come back week after week and help us deliver meals, or be a part of our friendly visiting program and where they're paired with a meal recipient and they visit every week for an hour or so to really deal with not only the nutritional aspect but the isolation that can be um, debilitating for many people who are homebound. So someone I met at the, uh, we were up at the warehouse called the uh, Joan and Bob Tisch Emergency Meal Readiness Center, Distribution Center, um, who said that they, when they delivered the food, you know, the people were so hungry, not for the food, but for the companionship. How have you developed these, these volunteers? They actually do come and sit with these seniors? Yes, we have programs of friendly visiting where a volunteer goes for at least one hour a week to sit with a meal recipient, chat. We had a board member who used to go and read to a meal recipient who was blind, and she would read the New York Times to her every week and catch her up on local papers and and books she might be reading. And we have a senior chat program, which is you can call a meal recipient and have a, a weekly conversation with a meal recipient and form bonds that way. And we even take it down to the old-fashioned pen pals where we're getting hundreds of letters a month in from meal recipients and we have volunteers who answer those letters. Both are screened, you know, by staff at City Meals, um, but the letters go back and forth and form real connections. And, you know, we're finding there's studies showing that isolation can lead to depression, which can lead to poor nutrition. And we really want to make sure that we're, to me, nourishing body and soul. So so in in terms of something a little bit offbeat, you also launched the Chef's Deliver program. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. After Hurricane Sandy, um, two of our board members who are chefs, Danielle Balud and Charlie Palmer, were delivering meals, cooking and delivering meals after the hurricane. And a year later formed Chef's Deliver where they asked, chefs around the city once a month, a different chef or two, to prepare meals that then go out to our meal recipients. Um, You know, it's a special meal every now and then. And then those chefs um, also deliver meals. And I think it really gives them firsthand understanding of, of the value of their simple meal. In fact, I'm doing one tomorrow with one of our chefs. And uh, I'm very excited about it. And he's done it before. So it speaks to the, the fact that it does have impact. And you know, I think part of cooking, and particularly for chefs, is giving of themselves and, and giving almost love in what they do. And it just helps them connect with people who can no longer come into their restaurant. Well, I think it's an extraordinarily sensitive and caring kind of uh, involvement with the community. And then there's this mobile food pantry. Now, how is that different from what you do in your delivery programs? About 14% of those that we're feeding are surviving on one meal a day. Mm. And we launched the mobile food pantry to bring extra food to their doors. So they're not able to get down to a local Um, 
soup kitchen or even um, any other kind of pantry services. So what we're doing is bringing hearty food, several days' worth of food, to them so that they have a little more on hand um, than just the one meal a day coming to the door. What advice would you give other women who are looking to be as successful as you are? Thank you. Advice. I would say be true to yourself, right? Really listen to yourself and who you are and what you have to offer other people. And I think listening to yourself goes even further and just being a really good listener and in all your business um, engagements and listen to what other people are saying in order to be smart in how you respond. And I, and I think active listening is critical to success. And I think you can build off others' um, ideas and collaborate much um, more effectively when you're listening yourself. And take the time to do it and take the time in your responses. I think we're all so connected, right? And you immediately want to send a text or an email answer. But sometimes you really need to think about what were they saying, either verbally or in print, to form your your best response back. Interesting. And I wonder about you. What do you do for fun? How do you take a break from the real world of work? Um, I bicycle ride. Oh, I hope I, safely. I hope safely. Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you bicycle from? <laughs> a little bit in the city and a little bit up in Westchester for riding. And uh, always, yes, always wear a helmet very safely. Well, it's a helmet for sure, but I think I'm very frustrated when I see bicyclists without um, these uh, things that reflect at night. They're out on their bikes and you can't see them. Yeah, it's not safe at all, actually. And I know the the death rates in the city are are up this year for bicyclers, and I, I think it's both. I think the people on the bikes need to be incredibly careful and smart about what they're doing so that riders can also be smart and see them, as you're saying. Well, I think also what you're doing, and I find for myself, is that recharging your batteries by working out. Yes. Because I don't try. you find it makes you mentally stronger? It does. I think it, the, I need that release um, and, you know, sort of pent-up energy and also just to recharge, for sure. So I think it's a good advice also to um, all of our listeners that working out is really not just for the body. It's also for the mind. Would you say that's true? Completely, completely true. And I think that part of being able to, you know, exercise in some way is, is a, it is a mental release, right? It can just, you can zone in and focus on that and try to push the other stress or thoughts away so that when you do come back to think about them, there's more clarity. Well, I am so glad to have had this chance first to meet you, now to speak with you. This is Beth Shapiro we're talking with, who is the executive director of City Meals on Wheels, an extraordinarily successful program for the fragile in our world. Listen to the Power Women podcast on Schnepps Broadcasting on iTunes, and wherever podcasts are heard. Here's to the power women. Thank you. This is Victoria Schnepp signing off. Bye.